Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello there and welcome to the latest episode of the Here We Go podcast. My name is Martin Clunas, I'm delighted to be back with you after what was a slightly extended break over the international window. As always I have with me back again Richard Hay, how are you doing Richard? I'm well thanks Martin. Good to hear from you Richard. Uh, We've got two guests again this evening, Um, firstly we have self-confessed Scottish football Stato, he's back on the podcast, our previous guest we have Tom Watt, how are you doing Tom? Very good, thank you very much. Delighted to have you back Tom. Uh, we have a man making his debut on the podcast tonight, football writer, um, big Dons fan, lots to talk about. Delighted to have Mum been trying to pin you down for a while. We have Mark Gordon. How are you doing, Mark? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem. We're delighted to have you both here. We've got a packed show to discuss this evening. We've got Saturday's performance against Hearts at Tynecastle to go over, and we have the small matter of a cup semi-final to preview against them. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Uh, Richard, Saturday, we had a team selection... That was only really one change from the previous game. It seemed to be that rather than trying to go out to win the game, we selected a side, a, a heart side that was missing, Christoph Berra, Suter, Ikpiezu, um, and all we really did was contain them for that first 45. There was very little offer, was there? You know, we have to accept that Hearts at Tynecastle is a challenging game. It'll be a challenging game for anybody in the league, but the setup and that performance in that first half is not what I expect from an Aberdeen side at any point in its evolution, let alone one which is five years into this manager's reign. They were missing two first-choice centre-backs, a number of other players, but it was very nice of uh, Derek to let the replacements at centre-half ease their way into the game by allowing them nothing more than to deal with a succession of aimless long balls in the general direction of Sam Cosgrove in that first 45 minutes. It really was the wrong team with the wrong mentality, and the blame for that overall display has got to lie at the feet of the manager. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I, I do think it's strange that uh, it, it's a little disingenuous that since then he's come out and said it wasn't the wrong team. Um, he might have made changes at half time, but you know, he'd do the same thing, same thing over again. It, it, it wasn't the right team. Hearts have been exceptional this season. Um, they, you know, they're due some respect. We've got, and we've got a pretty poor record over the last however many years uh, there. But they, they had injuries. They had players that were just coming back from fitness. And and for the first forty-five minutes, we looked like, you know, I mean, we, 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 we just we, we didn't look like anything. I, I, it was it was aimless. It was fractured. It was bitty. And it was a, this very strange game when, I mean, they, they were they were two 0 up. They could have been more. 
arguably they didn't deserve their second one because of the the decisions. But you know they they absolutely annihilated us in the first half, and they looked as good as Hearts have all at any point in the season. And it's very difficult to tell whether they were good and their tails were up, or we were just so rotten that uh, they had the opportunity to play like that. I remember one of the um, one of the football tactics websites uh, did a column which was uh, the sides in the SPFL Premiership ranked by their you know how much of a style identifiable style of play they have. Now normally I'd be loath to read too much into that, but the fact is that we're a couple of months into the season now, and and you can't say how do Aberdeen play the last couple of years certainly up to the beginning of last season, it was very obvious and very clear what our style was, and it was effective. Whereas over the past 18 months, I can't even see an evolution. I can't even see where we're trying to evolve to, to be perfectly honest. But maybe that's because I don't quite have the football in mind to see that. But uh, we're being blown significantly off course at the start of this season. And again, only eight or nine games into the season, but we've played... Every single one of the other sides that finished in the top six last season, five games, and we have won none of them, which has got to be a concern. Yeah, I think there is a lot to a lot to worry about. It's not so much the lack of style either. There's just a lack of kind of everything. I think I watched the game back on Monday. I actually spent Monday morning in the dentist, Monday afternoon watching the game back, and I think I'd rather have been in the dentist watching the first <laughs> half, to be honest. We're effectively playing with nine. Cosgrove and Wilson up front were just completely ineffective. And I think I was taking some notes as I went through the game, and I think I wrote the word bullied down at least three or four times. I think a very telling comment from McInnes was that they weren't ready for the intensity of hearts. I just can't see how going to the league leaders, they're at home, they're flying, they've got a good record at home can't see how you're not ready for that game. And if you're not, if the players aren't ready for that, then surely a lot of that has got to be the manager's fault, I would have thought. I, I actually think that the, the style point has a has some merit in it. Not necessarily that there's not been an identifiable style, but that McInnes has a problem now because he's, over the last four or five years... He's always been a, a relatively re- uh, reactive manager. You know, we saw times that he would go up against Celtic and play very defensive football when they looked very weak. A number of times when Rangers were really rocking, uh, and he played the, the the reputation of the club. Um, you know, played the name rather than the, the team. And I think he he, he was. Fine as Aberdeen were a, a far better side than everyone but Celtic in the league. And there are now four, five, maybe even six good sides. They're tactically sound. They've got good players that can hurt you. They can play a number of different ways. And he's setting up to, to counter that rather than trying to impose the game on, on them. And I think that's a greater problem now than it has been in previous years where maybe you know, perhaps last year we, we would change our, our style for, for Rangers and Celtic and maybe, maybe Hibs. It worked out fine. This season we are tinkering around with things. We don't really have an identifiable midfield. We don't really know who the best option is up front. Yes, we've had problems in the defence with, with uh, being able to pick the same uh, backline because of reasons beyond our control. But I think there's still this feeling that we're, we're playing the opposition far too much 
And I think that this season, when half the half the league look like they're pretty savvy, that that's a concern. Yeah, it's definitely part of the problem. Central to that and linked to that is the fact that it's two midfield signings in the summer, which you would have expected to see a great deal of game time, have now already pretty much been discarded. We've spoken a lot about Chris Forrester up to this point. Didn't even make the 18 on Saturday. Uh, that is so, so telling. It's looking like another recruitment window which is, uh, in which he's failed. And it's, it, it's a considerable worry because... As Tom rightly points out, for a couple of years, we just had to kind of punch our weight and we were going to finish second. Um, that was aided and abetted by a number of other teams punching significantly below their weight. That's not to say that I don't think this points tallies in those seasons wasn't a decent achievement. I think any Aberdeen manager that's getting 75, 73, 72 points in a league campaign, averaging round about two points a game, he's doing a good job. But... In the same way in which uh, we can sit here and lament the fact that we don't have the same wage budgets as Celtic and we struggle to compete over the course of the season, we were up against a number of sides who have maybe a quarter or a third of our wage budget budgets and will struggle to compete with us over a course of a season. To a degree, last season the, the competition was stiffer and maybe he doesn't get the credit he perhaps deserves for last season, finishing second, but it was achieved almost by the back door and with also accompanying very disappointing results in domestic cup football. But certainly the heat is on him this season. As I say, those those games against last season's top six to, to have amassed just two points is uh, pretty woeful at this point in the campaign. Absolutely. I want to go back to something you, <clears throat> something you mentioned there, Tom, about the, obviously the, the defence. We have had a defence that's been um, upset, I suppose you could say, by um, suspensions and injuries and things like that. The first goal, I think, is it kind of sums up Aberdeen's season for me. Um, we're attacking, we have a corner. It gets humped all, humped all the way back to the keeper. Big long balls humped back, humped back up to the into the box. We can't do anything with it, which was a which was a kind of motif of the first half. Hearts break, and then Constant gives away a silly foul. On other days, he could have got away with it, maybe, but I thought it was a pretty silly foul. And Hearts completely capitalised on some incredibly slack defending um, from a from the free kick. You know, Godinho sitting out in the on the wing in absolutely acres of space, nobody near him. Which is inexcusable in the first place, and then somehow June manages to be first to that cross. Um, just, I felt that for that that sixty second of, of play, Tom, it was just a catalogue of errors. It was, and, and I mean, it, we it was a slightly soft free kick, but the way Kevin Clancy was at the weekend, he was pulling up absolutely everything, and there can't be too many too many complaints. I mean, Hearts are a team. You don't need to do a huge amount of scouting to know that they're good in the air. They're going to get balls into the box. You've got to be alert when they've got set pieces because they're better this season than they have been in years. But they've they've always any Craig Levine team is decent at set pieces. And we switched off for the break. We switched off for the uh, for the ball in. Um, and there was you know there was so much time for no Constantine didn't go out and close his man down. Just a catalogue of, you know, nothing, nothing, no one uh, significant moment. Just a catalogue of slack, lack of concentration, defending that is has been very uncharacteristic until this season. A really, really sloppy goal for us to give away. But it's what happens, isn't it? If you're not if you're not doing enough damage in other parts of the pitch, you you put pressure on your own defence and they're. 
minds start to frazzle a little bit as well. The thing is, Ferguson was actually given the opportunity to close Godinho, I think it was, down. He got halfway and then decided to, to stop and not put enough pressure on the cross in. And then Shea Logan's attempt to deal with Arnold Hume and the ball in, it's pathetic. It's it's completely pathetic. It's it's a mismatch and it's actually quite embarrassing to watch. I mean, Logan had been yelled at by uh, Joe Lewis uh, 10, 15 minutes earlier for, for not jumping when a I, when I cross came in. But he, do, he, he does the same again. He basically allows Jim uh, to get the run on him and it, there's just so little pressure on him. It, it is. It's embarrassing. I mean, following that, I mean, uh, during, during the entire first half and partially in the second as well, I suppose we're living dangerously with some really physical play inside our own box. Clancy had waved away one penalty claim for Hearts, um, which I think... It's fair to say we probably got away with Mark, but then it led to this ridiculous, ridiculously soft award against uh, Ferguson. If you're going to be physical, like that, and we were, you know, we were really trying to be tough with Hearts and try to match them, um, and it led to this really a silly penalty, which granted is partially given by a, a soft referee. I think actually the penalty was given for handball as well. Certainly the the replays kind of suggested that when Shinny was asking the referee what was given for, he looked like he said handball, which kind of makes it even more inexplicable really the penalty but I think it all comes from the the physicality and I mentioned before about bullying I think it, it was clear that Aberdeen were worried about the Hearts players physicality because of the amount of grappling and then shirt pulling that was going on in the box and when I say bullying you might think that Aberdeen kind of defenders were bullying the Hearts players by pulling and pushing them but I think it was kind of symptomatic of a bit of fear amongst them and just a general kind of scrappiness. No one seemed to be in control. Every set piece, Hearts seemed to be dominant. They seemed to be the ones who were in control of the whole situation. And again, the word reactive comes in. We just we don't seem to take control of these situations very well. And I don't know if that's a communication thing or just a mixture of kind of everything. I mean, from minute one, Clancy's refereeing of the game was it was chaotic. He was never in control of proceedings throughout it. I mean, 11 yellow cards in that game. And whilst it was uh, towsy and whilst it was physical, I don't think there was particularly a bad challenge in it. I think it's very telling at halftime that both managers wanted to speak to Kevin Clancy on the pitch as well. I know that Craig Levine has said that he was just wanting to double-check what Derek was saying. That's Craig Levine being Craig Levine. I think that had he not been 2-0 up, um, he would have a, have a different say because it was it was a very shambolic first half. So half time we get some changes made. Thankfully, after what was an atrocious first half, off come Ball and Crossgrove, uh, on come Nell McGinn and Wright, um, and um, almost immediately, uh, Tom, we look like a side that has an operating midfield. Um, it was while it was at night and day, we actually seemed to be a little bit more creative. Who would have thought? Yeah, who would have thought? I mean, and you look at the bench that we had, and you know, I know we're talking a lot about about the, the fear and the slight reticence to, to play the attacking players, but we and, and the fact that we've had very little depth for large parts of the season. You know, there's been plenty of games of the season when we've had you know four or five under twenties, uh, under twenty ones on the bench, but now we get the bench, Stephen May on the bench, McLean on the bench. Anderson, uh, Gleason, and Wright—it's a—it's a healthy set of substitutes to be able to to call on, and I think Wright and McGinn caused them problems. Wright and McGinn gave them gave us a bit of a fear factor. I think um, Godinho had only just come back from a long injury. I think 
he had all sorts of problems with both of them and uh, he, he couldn't uh, keep up um, and like, he got hooked maybe only 15-20 minutes later because he was really struggling you know the, the three attacking options that you've got with Gary McAsteven right and again you've got three runners on that kind of pitch facing uh, facing up a, with, uh, against a, a team that were slightly nervous about their own discipline were slightly nervous about what was what Clancy was going to do because every single challenge seemed to be you know a finger in the air as to whether it was a yellow card or a free kick or what it, it suddenly gave us it raised the you know it certainly raised the, the level of performance it raised the the fans an awful lot and we looked like a team that believed we could score whereas in the first half we didn't look like you know we, we didn't even look like a team but and i think you're going to come to this point anyway later martin i'll just jump ahead of you that for all that we did look more encouraging the number of actual efforts on target and efforts on goal was still few and far between I mean you, you've got the, the penalty kick which Nam again wins and wins it very well and again we go back to uh, the sort of random nature of some of the yellow cards given there was Godinho already on a yellow wrestling McGinn to the to the ground in the box and uh, nothing further happening there beyond that you've got the Wilson half chance and you've got the Gary McKay Stevens shots, which were the only ones which were really likely to trouble the Hearts back line. I think there's a couple more where McGinn breaks through and gets a tame shot away, but nothing which is seriously going to alter the the, heart, uh, the score line. It, it is that sharpness, that um, that ability to cut through, and to be honest, it was it was apparent for large patches of last season as well. And just a reminder of how. Almost reliant, uh, the side was on that twin threat of uh, McGinn and Hayes for a number of years. Now, Gary McKay Stephen has had a good Aberdeen career, a good solid Aberdeen career, but uh, maybe uh, the onus is on him to to become even more of a creative force. Um, he's he's great to watch. He 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 does create opportunities and openings, but maybe the actual end product. It's very good from the spot this season we've seen, but uh, maybe the actual end product uh, would be the thing which would elevate him into into a different level. I think there's an interesting point with Gary McKay Stephen in how he's 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 I mean he's been the, effectively the only even remotely consistent goal threat, and that's saying something because he's never been consistent. Uh, he's had more consistency this season than he has in a long time. But he's never been especially consistent. I think the the team selection is not helping him at all. If he's the only out ball, he's the only one that you can expect to create something obvious from open play. Teams have been have dealt with him relatively quickly. As soon as we put on another runner, another two runners, where there's people making space, it opens the entire pitch up. It gives him opportunities to run into. It gives. I, although I don't think we were, I think we slightly over-egged it, a few of the, the reports slightly over-egged it that we were unlucky not to get a draw in the end. I think if we'd got a draw out of that game it would have been robbery based on the first half. But the fact that there were three runners and there were three, there were, there were it was a, a slight hark back to McInnes' early season with, with, with the role that, kind of, that, that Paulette used to play where just having him on the pitch, even if he was relatively ineffective, caused uh, just gave uh, opposition managers another headache. 
and opened the pitch up an awful lot. And I think that's one of the real problems Mackay Stevens got is that he's effectively been the, on the other side of the pitch. He's had like Max Lowe or, or, or Ferguson's played there or or, or or one of the fullbacks, and there's not been another threat to occupy the uh, defender so that he's got a chance to play into a bit of space. Yeah, the blueprint for this side to be successful, I think you saw it to some point in that second half on uh, on Saturday. I don't think it's any coincidence that our best performance of the season, albeit against a pitiful St Mirren side, was when you had Scott Wright running through the middle against him um, and you had Mackay Steven and also Frank Ross that day playing wide and being able to link in with a mobile striker as well. And for the best one in the world, that's not going to be Sam Cosgrove. Obviously, if you take that approach and you have someone like James Wilson who's going to come deep and link... The difficulty then is that you lack that focal point in the box and maybe what happens is, and this happened to an extent on Saturday, is that we get a lot of half-decent openings down the side but there's nobody there for McGinn to hit early. You know, he has to wait whilst his midfielders get in, whilst the uh, linking attacker gets into the box and Hearts obviously also get the opportunity to get men back. Speak later about how, how we handle Saturday, uh, Sunday's game, that there's got to have a little element of that, of the of the three proper attacking midfielders, guys who are able to link from the ball winners in centre midfield to hopefully a presence up front. Well, like you mentioned but earlier, earlier on there, Richard, I'm always going to come to the fact that you know, it is a concern, I think, about the lacks of goals and chances coming from open play. Um, Mark, we've got uh, we've got some very good football players in the squad, but yet the concern is for me. And I guess it's maybe a bigger concern of what like what Richard mentioned earlier on about the manager is that we've got football players in the squad, yet rather than trying to impose our our game on to Hearts, we we seem to play into the opposition hands. Not for the first time this season as well. Absolutely, Tom said as well. Reactive, I think, particularly in against the better teams. McInnes tends to err on the side of caution and it's always what can we do to kind of stop the opposition playing rather than impose ourselves on them and perhaps that is a little bit down to the kind of loss of style, loss of personnel you know, we don't have the Hayes on one side, McGinn on the other I mean I know McGinn's still here but he's not the player he was a few years back and we don't have that kind of three-pronged attack anymore and maybe it is a kind of mixture of the personnel going out the window that has led McInnes to kind of be a bit lost in terms of not just what his style of play is, but what his best 11 is. But the lack of goals, I mean, that's that's a massive concern. And I think as well, the types of striker that he's bought, I, know, I don't know if there's much variation there. They're all similar in style with possible exception of Bruce Anderson, I don't know if we've got a kind of a different option up front, a more mobile, pacey kind of striker, and we need somebody to score goals is the bottom line, and I can't see where they're coming from kind of anywhere in the team other than Gary McKay-Steven at the minute. Um, something I thought was a bit concerning, Richard, um, was Derek McInnes' comments post-match, saying we weren't aggressive enough, uh, we never played with enough intent. Um Personally, for me, no, that for, for first 45, which was seemingly endless long balls up to Sam Cosgrove, which, you know, I'm sure Sam Cosgrove is a nice guy, but it just doesn't seem to be working. Um, 
I can't really see how that signifies any intent. And like you said right at the get-go there, that comes from the manager, doesn't it? I, I covered this in my opening, well, tirade, I guess you could call it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really frustrating that he should come out and not only say that, but also defend his line-up as well. Uh, because clearly, having to completely alter things at half-time, and that was partly because of the match situation at 2-0 down, but it was also the fact that, as anyone could see, we were we were doing nothing. We were having no impact on that game whatsoever. It would have been far better, I think, for him and the the opinion that the support would have of him for him to take a bit more responsibility as far as that goes. When it comes down to individual goals. You can, you can point it, it at players and them failing to do their job. The mentality, the setup. Very much on the manager's shoulders there, and, and a, a real disappointment, um, especially, as we said, at the outset of Hearts team missing some of their bigger characters. Certainly, definitely a huge disappointment. I think it's uh, best we draw a line under that one then. Slightly brighter topic, we've got the Sunday's Cup semi-final against the Rangers to look forward to. Unfortunately, I suppose you would say, the positivity around this one seems to be fairly lacking, Mark. Um, now, there's obviously reasons for that, whether it's the kickoff time, the venue, there is general apathy. Obviously, you know, a win against Hearts would have done something to kind of boost some more ticket sales. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite, I'm actually feeling quite positive about it. I you know, despite the fact that I don't like Hamden, um, it's a cup semi final, and I am, I am like a little kid on Christmas Eve, and it's still only Wednesday as we record this. So, Mark, do we have any? Do we have reason to be positive about this game? I think we do. Yeah, I mean. As far as the ticket sales go, I don't think there's one thing that you can point to. The reason behind that, I think it's kind of been a bit of a perfect storm, um, all told. Whether it's problems with the SFA, the organisation of the whole thing, the scheduling, the fact it's on TV, I think maybe recent performances against uh, our opponents might have came into some people's mind, maybe people feeling the worst. Rangers aren't as good as what everyone's kind of in the media is perceiving them to be um, they're flattering to deceive for me they've had a few good performances they are better than they were last season but to me they're no better than a Hearts or a Hibs at the minute and I think they're very beatable particularly with the lack of strikers that they're going to have at the weekend so yeah I think there's very very much reason to be positive about the semi-final yeah I wouldn't say I'm fully confident but I, I, I'm not feeling them anyway we don't really know what Rangers are like away from as much as this is not a home fixture obviously it's more of a home fixture than it might be and thanks SFH for that um, but they've been relatively ropey European matches aside out, away, from, away from Ibrox they don't have the they don't have a huge amount of options up front which at the very least is going to mean Gerard's going to have to, to shuffle things around a little bit. I think he's, he's, he's done a reasonable job for Rangers in, I think he's done a very good job in the recruitment. I think he's done a reasonable job in the kind of cult of personality that he's brought with them and the, the mentality that they don't seem to, their heads don't seem to go down when they go behind. But I think he's been found out in a couple of matches tactically. And I think him being forced into making some some uh, some changes to his ideal starters for the for Saturday certainly gives us some hope. 
I know I've just spent the whole the first half of this talking about not being reactive, and now I'm talking about how reactive we need to be. So, something more positive. <laughs> well, I think it's keep. I think it's possible to both be um, not necessarily all that upbeat about our chances, but still wanting Sunday to come around because it's a it's a tie that definitely gives us. Uh, it makes my competitive juices flow anyway. I mean, positivity is obviously going to be lacking because the side this season have given us very little reason to be positive um, and believe that they can put in the sort of performance that will be necessary to win this. I mean, you might argue that beating Hibs in the last round demonstrated that, uh, and whilst we're obviously pleased to have got through that tie, we've got to acknowledge that Hibs that night had enough chances to win about 74 ties. That said, though, with everything that's been said about the club, the supporters... Over the past couple of weeks leading up to this game, I'm properly itching for this one. Uh, call it perverse, but definitely my competitive juices are, are, are flowing at the thought of uh, going and turning over this mob on their own backyard and denying the, the SPFL, BT and the sponsors their dream final. I just hope that the players and the management have that, have got that same edge to them ahead of Sunday because uh, because I think the worst thing that we could possibly do is just be the sort of passive... Um, non-threatening display that we were for the first 45 minutes on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I think so. That's fair fair enough, Richard. I think that Rangers were played against Hamilton Academical on Sunday. Um, They won 4-1, but that game really flattered them. And Tom mentions there, but no, they're away form. The the game in Hamilton was was almost like a home game for them. They had, you know, most of most of the stadium that had quite a vocal support behind them. They're going to be missing the two strikers, as we've mentioned, Mark. Um, so how best do we capitalise on their shortcomings? I am fed up of saying on this podcast that I don't don't rate James Tavernier, but yet we never seem to have anybody on the left-hand side of Aberdeen's pitch that actually runs at him with the ball for 90 minutes and gives him a torrid time. Um, so wh- how can we capitalise on what they are very bad at? I think you're right. I'm picking up. Tavernier, he's the player that I kind of identified as being um, a kind of a weak link, if you like, in their team. He's really good going forward, and I think that covers up for a lot of his flaws defensively. Um, I think we kind of got him a wee bit uh, before when Johnny Hayes was here, and I think uh, that's definitely an area of the pitch, um, whether it's through Gary McKay-Steven or McLennan, if he's fit to just get somebody right up against um, Tavernier and potentially get in behind him. But I think as well, uh, we need to pressure them. We can't let them pass the ball about. They did it up here with 10 men right at the start of the season. They're obviously a team they quite like, passing the ball about. And I think the only way really we can counter that is by just getting right in their faces. Don't let them pass it about. Knock them off. Um, what they're wanting to do and again it's down to being kind of proactive and taking the game to them rather than trying to kind of stop them doing what they do So Richard one thing well, one positive we will have is that Scott McKenna will finally return from his suspension um, he's obviously going to come straight back into the side is he and we've got we've got what will be our first choice defence of McKenna and Devlin going to be playing well, you would hope that helps. Um, Tom made the point about maybe a lack of leadership um, amongst the defence and dealing with set pieces on 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 Saturday. Um, I think, given uh, the recent examples from both teams, I think we can probably expect at least one. Who knows? Maybe four or five penalty kicks to be given against us on on Sunday. Such are the way <laughs> things. Um, 
are being handed out against us and obviously for the other mob who got two themselves on Sunday. McKenna's obviously big for us, of course he is, and the partnership with Devlin has been promising, but it's only been, I think they've only played five times together, so it just goes to show how disrupted that's been by a mixture of McKenna's injury, obviously, and, and the recent suspension. Of course, we've got to hope that uh, they deal with whoever is put up top against them, that we don't have that sort of switch off that we did for the set pieces that cost us the goals on on Saturday, and that we managed to put in a coherent 90 minutes, because the manager came out and said after the game, you can't win just by playing with 45 minutes, but we we very rarely put 90 minutes together as a performance this season. And again, that's a real worry. Uh, playing for a 0-0 and hoping for penalty kicks is not going to cut it on Sunday. We're going to have to go there and win it. We can't just get through this by default. I want us to be positive. I want us to show that we not only deserve to be there, but deserve to be in that final. Um, there's a huge prize on offer, a huge prize, and not only that, but it would give this team and this manager a little bit more leeway at a time when more and more people are beginning to turn against them. Well, that brings me, Richard, to the big question, which, of course, is how, piv- how pivotal is this game in our season, Tom? I think it's huge. Uh, I think it, it, it's, it's huge. Uh, um, the... Things have not gone well, you know, things have not gone well however we want to slice it, and yes, there have been things out with our control, and yes, there have been decisions that have influenced things that that might otherwise have gone our way, but I think there's there's grumblings, and there's been grumblings about the way the team has played, the performances they've put in, the fact that there doesn't seem to be, you know, things we've touched on so far, another transfer window where we don't seem to have addressed some of the problems that we've got. And we're almost getting to the stage where a fit again, Greg Tanzi, is an option just because we don't know what else we've got. A win this weekend would wash away an awful lot of that for, for a while. I think the, the, the problem in the league, with the league form, I mean, it might just be the kick up the backside that the, the team needs and a bit of positivity and a bit of right. We, you know, if we can if we can win this weekend, we will have done something right. We will have identified a formation, a set of players that we can put faith in. So, you know, even the fact that we will we 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 get a good performance out of it, we can say right, this is the team that we want to go on with. But the fact that we could do it something that we've not done particularly well when at Hamden against uh, you know against a heavily fancied home team however they want to, uh, to, to, to spin it would be a huge huge boost for the rest of the season leaving aside the fact that it would then put us in another cup final and a chance to hopefully right some wrongs Tom I wonder you can maybe dismiss this and it's very easy to dismiss because it's just a couple of years ago, season 16-17, that had so many similarities with uh, the year under Willie Miller, season 92-93, when we were scoring so many goals, but we came up against um, a side who, who weren't going to be caught without a, a superhuman record of our own. Um, back in 92-93, it was obviously Rangers, and a couple of years ago, it was Brendan Rodgers' unbeatable Celtic team. We finished runners-up runners in all three competitions both years. The season after that, on both occasions, we again finished second, but... There was a, certainly a regression in terms of the number of points won, the number of goals scored. We drew a hell of a lot of games um, under Willie Miller in 
And then it was the third season under Miller, 94-95. League form, very, very patchy to start the season. We actually made it again to the League Cup semi-final that year. Played a Celtic team at Ibrox and got beat 1-0. And obviously ended up having a, a horrendous season in a 10-team league, just escaping relegation. Um, history can repeat itself. And I, I, I do... Not that I'm concerned about relegation yet. Not in this league. Not in any league that that Dundee side are a part of. But you do wonder if this side maybe and this manager has maybe reached the end of its uh, lifespan. Uh, I think, and I think that will certainly be a question that's asked. Well, it'll certainly be asked if they come up short this weekend, and then in the in the coming couple of weeks where there's two massive games against uh, you know one team that everyone thought would be hopeless and one team that pretty much have been, then there's a there's a real serious question to be asked. I think the the there there are parallels in how they failed to replace key players, lost the identity of the team a wee bit in the in the way that uh Willie Miller did in his in that in that certainly in that third season um that you talked about. There are far more questions about this side at the moment than there are answers and I think the only I think every like my, my, a couple of friends and I have um, a, a little WhatsApp group where we talk through, you know, just talk about football. And then every time the team comes out, nobody, like nobody, knows what the, what the eleven is going to be. Nobody, it's like, is this a three? Is this a five? Is this like, are we, is this one up front? Are we playing four four two? And yeah, that must be incredibly useful to throw opposition off. But we don't know what we're getting week to week. And I think the opportunity to to right some of those wrongs and, and say, right, look, let's let's away from the league form, which has been pretty horrendous. Let's see what we can do in the cup and build some momentum from that. Is a huge opportunity, and it, it is one that McInnes really needs to take because lose this one, and then you've got a, a couple of. you're suddenly a quarter of the way more than a quarter of the way through the season and you're 13 points behind Hearts or more I think it's 13 points and in the bottom six and there isn't really an opportunity to fix many of those problems until January so it's a huge game for us I think it's an even bigger game for him I'll come to you, Mark with with the same kind of similar question about how pivotal it is Um, but let's you you were you were able to give us some positive earlier on as well. I mean, we we can do this, and I mean, like Tom mentions there, if we can get the, get the result, then it will it will stave off a lot of these criticisms that McInnes has had, won't it? Absolutely, yeah. I think as well, you know, the cups a good break from the league. You can set aside all the poor performances in the league when you go into the cup, and you know, if McInnes was to go tomorrow. He'd be remembered for the cup win over the second place finishes, in my mind, as the years go by, because the silverware is really what the fans want. So it's a massive opportunity to kind of win back some good feeling, albeit it's only a semi-final. But Richard was talking of the, the kind of 95 team and how everything had kind of fallen apart and then... Uh, you know, we went into a semi-final against Rangers down there um, the season later and got a win against them. And, it, you know, it was a better Rangers team then than they are now, for, for certain. 
But also on that, I don't think anyone was speaking about ticket sales for that game either. But um, I think McInnes is under pressure, obviously. He spoke there about putting things right in January. I don't know if his record in the transfer market suggests that he'd be able to put things right in January, but I certainly think a cup final would get a lot of people off his back, at least for a wee while. Um, but you know, the league's going to be difficult this season. We're already a long way behind Hearts. Um, we're off the pace. And like I say, maybe the Cup's just a good opportunity to put all that to one side and just kind of go out a big game on Sunday, show people what we're all about and maybe just get a kick on from there. Well, there's a couple of things there, I suppose. The, the first being the, uh, the ticket sales, which I, I think we probably should discuss because... This idea that this is somehow in any way embarrassing to have sold 10,000 tickets, I don't get where that comes from whatsoever. There's no doubt that a 4.30 kickoff is better than a 12.15 kickoff at Hamden, but it's still a game 140 miles away on a Sunday afternoon with the schools going back after the October holidays the next day. So immediately rules out quite a large percentage of the potential support. I think the bar has been raised in the last couple of years. We've taken good supports. We've taken 15,000 to Tynecastle for a semi-final, but notably that wasn't on TV, and it was Saturday at 3pm. But most of the other supports have been, certainly in the League Cup, have been around the 12,000 mark. And there's a lot of reasons why 10,000 was kind of more or less what I was expecting for this game. And certainly there are other factors which would dampen any potential enthusiasm. And it's also the case, I think, if there is perceived to be a limited number of tickets, people move quicker to, to buy those and, and that in itself creates a, a kind of wave of enthusiasm. Knowing that we had an almost unlimited amount of tickets to, to sell for this one meant that there was never going to be that, that rush, that uh, that wave of support. So so I don't really quite understand why the club were... Well, I, I guess I understand why the club were pushing for 50-50 because of the way that Hamden has laid out that... Um, Obviously, the best seats in the ground are in the North Stand, not in the East Stand, which we'll be occupying now on on uh, on Sunday. So you want to give your support the opportunity to buy those tickets. And also because there's very little evidence to suggest that the support that will be in the West End at Highbrox generally turn out for these games either. I mean, we look back to that game where Billy Dodd scored two on this day in 1995, and the the legacy club of the club were playing on Sunday. There was eighteen, nineteen thousand of their support there that night. So, it's it's never historically been a huge draw. But I guess when all you've got in your trophy cabinet is one petrofat cup after four or five attempts, then it becomes a much bigger deal to you. Um, so I think there was a total crowd of about 40-odd thousand for their game against Motherwell last season. So the appetite is now there for that club when it hasn't been there for, for many, many years through whichever itineration you wish to claim it. So it's a bit surprising to find that um, you know we're being mocked and ridiculed for taking what is just a, a typical amount of... Um, support down on Sunday. The other thing that came out of what Mark said, I think, is is maybe just a question I'd put to Tom, is uh, where would you stand if uh, if we were to lose on Sunday? I mean, uh, presumably you're not quite at the uh, standing outside Pitotti Street and uh, looking for the manager's head, or are you? No, uh, I think there is enough credit in the bank, and there should be enough credit in the bank. To, to, he's got to be able to put it right. A lot of this has been out of his control. I think I would underline that. I think there's been some 
he's been robbed of key players. Uh, the game against Kilmarnock was a total write-off because of a ridiculous decision and the, the, the fallout that fell uh, that came off, off the back of that. I, I, I kind of fall. There, there, it looks like there's two camps. There are those that are, were saying, you know, absolutely ridiculous to even talk about to talk about the idea, and those who are seemingly getting their pitchforks ready to, you know, they've lit their pitchforks and are ready to go. I think I would refute the idea that this is a sudden, a sudden, you know, people have turned on him suddenly. I think there are an awful lot of people that won't easily forget round about this time last year when there were, there was, a, you know, he was, he was courting the Rangers job. Let's, let's not be about the bush. He was courting the Rangers job and although ultimately he remained uh, with us and, and, Everyone was very happy with that, and the the it, it was a much underrated season, I think, given uh, given where we were at various points in the league, and given the the hype around several other sides, it, it was a great achievement to finish where we did. However, there have been failings in the transfer market for a number of years. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the, the potential from the youth team that's meant to be coming through has only really come through in, in fits and bursts. There doesn't seem to be a sustained uh, trust in some of those players. Some of that criticism is unfair, but certainly we've, we've seen, like Scott Wright, for example, who seems to, although he's inconsistent, he's always going to be consistent and he offers something that we don't seem to have elsewhere. Um, so I, I, I do understand the frustrations of the people who are teetering on the edge here I think he's got to be given enough time to put things right if the worst happens this weekend but it's it, he's not going to be given forever and people will start to lose patience if there's not a marked improvement in the next in the run up to Christmas Yeah I would say that that probably tallies with where I'm at as well I mean, there's been a lot of progress made and this was the manager that was able to turn us around from finishing after all finishing Eleventh uh, the season before he arrived here, to sorry ninth the season before he arrived here to finishing third within a, within the space of twelve months. So he's he's proven himself capable of turning this team around, this Aberdeen team around. But it is going to be harder now. I mean, maybe it's just a case of there's going to be a fallow season whilst Man United had it under Ferguson, whilst he created different versions of his team. But I do worry that maybe the the sort of tactical nice isn't quite there that he's going to be able to come up with something that isn't going to be as easily sussed and easily overtaken as, as this current itineration of the Aberdeen side looks like it's being I don't know what you think Mark I don't know if he is, I don't think he should be anywhere near getting sacked at this stage of the season, not for nothing else I don't know if we could even afford to sack him given that he's on quite a decent contract at the minute with, with a fair bit of time left on it but I think uh, Tom mentioned there there was two camps there was the kind of pros and the, the negatives but I think there's really three camps there's kind of the people that can't see past him think he's brilliant there's the camp that think he's awful that he can't do no right and I think there's a massive chunk in the middle which is the majority of people who can see what he's done can see that he's been good for the club but are starting to feel now a little bit like have we come as far as we can come under him things are kind of slowly getting worse we're kind of losing a bit of our identity we've papered over maybe a few cracks by finishing second last season because we're kind of nowhere near that finishing second now um, I think we're going to struggle finishing even in the top 
three or four, the way things have gone. So yeah, I think the pressure's on him. I don't think he'll get sacked. I don't think the club are um, would even consider sacking him, to be honest. But certainly the pressure's there, and I think he's as much as he's done a lot for Aberdeen. You know, Aberdeen have cut him a lot of slack as well in the way they treated him with the Sunderland, the Sunderland talks, and then the Rangers talks, and maybe he's due a wee bit back as well. It hasn't all been kind of one-way traffic and. I think, um, yeah, he's maybe due another good season before he does leave, if he is going to be going. But loyalty in football isn't really that much of a concept, is it? It's certainly never a, a truly two-way street. It was very much a case of, for his own career, he decided that neither the Sunderland or the Rangers options were, were the right ones for him at that point in time. So whilst Aberdeen no doubt had its draws, I think it was more to do with the the question marks over those two offers in particular as opposed to necessarily the draw of Aberdeen. But but I think you're absolutely right, Mark, to say that there are it's probably just a, a small percentage at either extreme. It's just that one of the extremes tends to be a bit louder than the others. Well I think that one of the things is that you know all it takes is a good result on Sunday and then we don't you know for a while anyway we won't have to be worrying about the manager situation, we're going to be positive, um, and we know we're going to get a result. Um, that's uh, that's all for the podcast this week. I want to thank um, our guests for joining us. I want to thank Tom Watt for coming back. Thank you very much, Tom. Thanks very much. I want to thank Mark Gordon for his first appearance. Thank you very much, Mark. And Richard, it's always a pleasure to have you have you back as well. Thank you, Richard. Yep. Thank you very much, Martin. Uh, no are we going to get to hear from Mark or? <laughs> Apologies, yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you had to. So that, that's all. That's all from us this week. Um, just remember, if you're list, if you're sub- not subscribed to the podcast, please do subscribe via iTunes and all the other podcast apps as well. Um, we are slowly but surely rebuilding that huge following we had in the old house. Um, please remember, if you're on iTunes as well, a review would be great. Five stars, of course, and we would really appreciate that from you all. Um, and tell a friend to listen as well. Um, it's been a pleasure. Cannot wait for Sunday. Um, it's Cup semi-final time. Come on, you Reds. Come on, you Reds.